This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This program contains themes of an adult nature. Word for Word is an in-depth look into the lives of real people, which means this episode may contain explicit accounts of real-life events, including alcohol and drug use. The language used at times may cause some offence, but has been left uncensored due to the accuracy of the story. No offence is intended, and we hope you enjoy the program. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, to over 70 community stations around the nation, this is Word for Word, coming to you from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Welcome family and friends, fans and fiends, to today's edition of Word for Word. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I am Benjamin Norris, and it's simply a delight to continue to work on this show for the Joy Network, which has already featured some of the community's strongest voices. In the tradition of this ongoing program, I continue to look at powerful stories and insights into the life and lifestyle of some incredible people. Each week, we will chat with those in and around our community who have inspired us entertained us, but mostly they've made an impact on the queer community of Australia. Today's guest is one of them. This woman was born in Melbourne, and while she has had a career in teaching, it's her work as an author of children's picture books that has seen her become a prolific member of the LGBTI community. Her published books include The Gender Fairy, A Home for Everyone, and they have become a huge success discussing gender, which has proven to be just as educational for parents as it has been for kids. Whilst this protective mother of her own transgender child continues to navigate her own son's privacy, she has become a beacon of hope for other parents right across the world with her knowledge and experience. So it's no surprise, she is nominated for Straight Ally of the Year at the 2018 Globe Awards, and I believe this is just one of many awards and accolades this supportive ally is set to receive. I'd like to welcome you and welcome Joe Hurst to Word for Word. I was a very quiet, shy child uh, who loved just playing in my imagination. Only you know whether you're a girl or a boy. It's not parents or doctors telling you you're transgender. It's no one else telling you you're transgender. Yet they try and frame that as though someone's trying to recruit transgender children. So A House for Everyone is your second book that's out there. Well, I initially wrote a story for my son when he first transitioned. He was in prep. Is there a right age to introduce this book to children? Because not a lot of our society understands transgender children, it's easy to scare people. Well, I actually think that these books aren't just good for children, they're good for adults. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Joe. this is so exciting to have you here. And preparing for this, I was thinking about what title we would really give you. I mean, obviously you're an ally, but, you know, you're almost an activist. Well, I don't call myself an activist. I think any well, you are by default. <laughs> I think any parent of a transgender child mm. is just trying to advocate for their child. And unfortunately, in our society at the moment, even though we have the Royal Children's Hospital and the Australian Standards of Care, which have now been published in the Lancet, the most amazing medical journal in the mm. world, saying being transgender is a normal part of human diversity, affirm your children, educate children in kindergartens and primary schools, saying all of these things. And we have the Australian Psychological Society saying the same thing. Uh, it's still being considered controversial. In some small little groups are considering it or trying to frame it as controversial, I guess, when it's really not. I think when you've got your mainstream health providers 
saying this is what we're doing, it's not controversial at all. It's exactly what we should be doing. And Mm. by doing that, we're giving our children the best mental health outcomes. We're giving our children the best academic outcomes. And we are lowering the suicide rate and the self-harm rate of our children. So any parent who's trying to advocate for their child is basically making sure that they get the right health care. They're making sure they get affirmed at school. They're making sure that their child is respected by every person that they see in their family. So you're kind of forced to become an advocate for your child. With the with me, I guess, when I wrote this book, I had no idea of what would happen. Well, you wouldn't. I mean, I wrote a book that Associate Professor Michelle Telfer at the Royal Children's Hospital Gender Service wrote a forward to, and the notes were co-written by at the back, the, the notes for grown-ups at the back were co-written by Ros Ward, who was working for the Safe Schools Coalition at the time. Mm. And that had bipartisan support by the federal government, both Liberal and Labor. So I could not have known what would happen. I thought, great, there's no resources for children. We need one. I'll write one. Who would have known this would happen? What's interesting, I think, about that, it was really an offshore religious group that started pulling safe schools down? Well, it's an international tactic. Mm. So the anti-transgender lobby groups around the world use the same tactics. Mm. And one of those tactics is to try and use transgender children as a political weapon. So because not a lot of our society understands transgender children, it's easy to scare people. So they treat our children as though they are not normal, as though they have some sort of contagious disease. I mean, that that line in the book that says, only you know whether you're a girl or a boy, that's true. Basically, that's saying it's not parents or doctors telling you you're transgender. It's no one else telling you you're transgender. It's coming from the child. That's what that line's all about. Mm. Yet they try and frame that as though someone's trying to recruit transgender children. Someone's trying to confuse children. When it's nothing of the sort, you cannot make a child (laughs) transgender. It's not catching. That's why conversion therapy does not work. But our vulnerable children need support. These children are in kinder. These children are in childcare. Mm. These children are in primary school. And when they come to kinder, when they come to childcare, when they come to school with a different different name and a different pronoun that needs explaining and at the moment there is no government program anywhere in Australia that lays out for a teacher exactly what they can do in the classroom to do that at the moment there is nothing but my books and I'm happy to go and read that to a class and I'm happy for any teacher to show any teacher how to read that to a class but really that's not my job don't you think it's fear People who don't know about something, they immediately become fearful of. If they don't know the answers themselves, if they haven't done the research, then fear gets created and then people react badly from fear. So I think it's quite interesting that that's where they're coming from because nine times out of ten, if you've educated someone about this particular topic, you see it in their faces because they're actually being given the answers that they need. Absolutely. And then there's that 1% though where they're just stubborn. Absolutely. There's 1% that will never, ever change because no. they they have extreme beliefs that won't see reason, mm. that won't look at evidence and that won't look at research. But most people, when they come face to face with a real transgender child and real facts and real reason and real evidence and real stories, they are so accepting mm. and so welcoming of our children. It's wonderful. 
I rarely find that a teacher does not want to help a child. They just want help doing it. They just want to know how. Absolutely. But that's, again, with what I was saying, when you see that face disintegrate, you know, when you see someone given the information that they want, that they crave, you watch adults have the aha moment. Well, I actually think that these books aren't just good for children, they're good for adults. Mm. So when people read them and they have no understanding of the language around gender, it's actually really good for adults as well. We need to give children the language Mm. around gender so that they can speak for themselves and understand their peers and support them at school but we also need to help adults and I think both books give adults a really basic understanding of all the language around that and I put both books through quite a few focus groups and I think with the second book A House for Everyone it was really interesting I in the first draft I just wanted it to be a story but focus group of teachers came back and said oh I'm just not sure about the they pronoun and I'm not sure if that girl Ivy is a girl even though I was using she and her you can see that she's a girl so I had to actually spell it out Ivy is a girl and explain the pronouns and all Mm. of that stuff so it, it actually does help adults as well I think. We have to get into more of this as we go along, but we need to get into the story of you and how you've come to be, I think. So you grew up in Melbourne? I did. I grew up in the sort of uh, Donvale Park Orchards, Warrandyte area on a big bush block where I was allowed just to roam. It was very much um, a rural area. No one wanted to live there. It was really, really cheap. And Dad was English. Mum was Italian. It was a miracle they ever met, long story. (laughs) And Dad wanted to live out in the bush, so he bought out there. (laughs) <laughs> which is it's crazy thinking about it now. So they bought a big acre in the, on a dirt road in the middle of the bush and opposite us was is just vacant or was just vacant bushland about 17 or 18 acres. So we just played in that bushland all day and the only rule was that we wore gumboots in case there were snakes mm-hmm. and we came home when we heard this great big brass bell ring which we could hear <laughs> for miles and miles around. Do you wish in some ways that you were living on a big acre like that with your children? I think one of my children would love it and one would hate it. Look, honestly, I'm very much a city girl now. And what about you as a child? What were you like? I was a very quiet, shy child uh, who loved just playing in my imagination and, mm. and playing in the bush. I had very, very loving religious Catholic parents. My parents were just beautiful. I had, you know, I was one of those people who had that rare opportunity to be brought up by parents who really loved each other and who were really beautiful people. Even my father was, for that era, unusually involved and loving, so I had no complaints. My mother was unusual in that, for that time, in that she was a bit like Ivy in my book, where she never wore makeup or a dress. She'd been brought up very strict Italian mm. where she had to wear dresses and look nice and get ready to marry an Italian man. And, and mum threw all that away to marry my father. And mum would always be out there in her shorts with the chainsaw, fixing the mower. She actually became a builder. And she used to go out and build extensions, in, make garages into units. She painted, she wallpapered, she tiled. She had a great career doing that. So you have both parents working. My dad was a teacher. <laughs> all right, it's, I think it's all starting to come together. It's yeah. almost as though your backstory 
has little signs of where you're going to go in your life. It, look, it does, because I think I understood that gender identity and gender expression were always different things. My dad was very much a man, but he was never the one fixing the mower. He'd be inside doing the dishes, playing the guitar, making wine, doing the gardening, while mum would be outside doing what everyone else's dad was doing. Mm. She would never teach... I didn't have a mum to teach me about makeup, even though my gender expression seemed to evolve naturally as quite feminine. I had no mum to teach me about those things. Gender stereotypes have been completely thrown out of the window for you and your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So you're looking at a man... That's not. I mean, we're not even saying that he, you know, was effeminate or anything. He wasn't. But he was no. in touch with his creative side. Absolutely in touch with his creative side. He was a history and English teacher. He was really intelligent, but he was very much masculine and identified as male. And my mum has always identified as female, and has always identified as heterosexual, as my dad did. So I didn't see that if someone was butch that they were trans or they were a lesbian. I saw gender identity and sexuality and gender expression as all completely different things. It's a real sign of where you were going to go in your life being brought up that way, which is obviously the reason why you are the way you are, because you sort of been brought up in these environments to allow people to be who they are without the confines of labels. Absolutely. How many siblings did you have? So I have a younger brother and a younger sister. What's the relationship that you have with your siblings? My brother lives overseas, but we're we're close. And I'm very close to my younger sister who has a daughter who I'm very close to. And what dynamic did you play in your family growing up? Oh, I was a bit of a rebel, actually. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, my parents were very strict Catholics, even though they were... um, So I guess um, I started to question little things as I grew up and and they were quite strict about boys and things like that. I'm like, oh, this doesn't seem quite right. <sighs> so I was a little bit of a rebel. <laughs> so what school did you go to growing up? I went to a Catholic primary school mm-hmm. and a Catholic all-girls all secondary college. Yeah, I right. did leave in year 12 because my Catholic all-girls secondary college was really pushing the maths and science because that was all the thing for girls mm. that they were really feeling that though, as though they were leaving girls behind in those areas and they were dropping English literature as a subject and that was my favourite subject. So I went to the local high school in year 12. You know, growing up in the uh, 80s and 90s obviously sometimes can be quite difficult for kids. Did you have any queer mates or anything like that going 80s. through school? 70s uh, and I, 80s. <laughs> let's go 70s primary, 80s secondary. At the all-girls school I went to, there were obviously lesbians there, yep. but it was very much something that was always a joke, something that girls were teased for. It was a derogatory Mm. thing. But my biggest memory is my my brother went to an all-boys school and uh, one of my sister's best friends went to that school as well. You know, the girls' school and the boys' schools were always good friends. And I'll never forget that one of her best friends committed suicide and no one knew why. And then someone found a note in his room after he died and it was because he couldn't tell anyone he was gay and he thought he would lose all his friends and he didn't see a world where he could keep his friends and be gay. That's what it was like when I was growing up. And you think about those stories that were never told because those people are not here. Absolutely. I know that my mum had a friend who she worked with before she was married. He wore women's clothing. I'll say he because that's the pronoun he used and makeup at home and then he would dress in men's clothing at work 
and he was my mum's best friend. So she was the little Italian girl at work who was really different. And he felt really different too. And they would go and have lunch together because she wasn't allowed to socialise outside the home. And only with her brothers, very, very strict. And he told her about the world. He told her what homosexuality was. She'd had no idea. And they were very, very close. And when she got married, she would have loved to have had him as one of her bridesmaids. But, of course, that was out of the question. And they remained close even after she had children. And I'll never forget one day she got the phone call to say that he had committed suicide. And I remember her just crying and crying and crying in in her bedroom. I was a child at the time, probably about 12 she was absolutely devastated, but I just cannot imagine what he would have gone through. It's so hard to even put yourself into those shoes, but you still think, you know, there are still people, especially in rural areas, regional areas of Australia, that are still facing that as though it's like the 70s. Absolutely. I mean, I, I hear about it every day from parents. If you look at the rate of self-harm and suicide attempts and trans kids, nearly 50% of trans kids have attempted suicide. And that, that's massive. And no one should be thinking that. No one. You know. And that is huge. It's stories like this that our government simply can't ignore. I mean, people are dying and they have been for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, I know for myself, I was given a bubble to exist in because I was so accepted by friends and family who have supported me and loved me, even at times, and I grew up in the 90s, when it wasn't fashionable to support a gay man. I I just don't get it. I I live in a bubble as well. I wish that every parent and child could live in Mm. my bubble with my accepting family, with my accepting school, with my accepting community and my accepting friends. It's not fair. Are there any other stories of queer people that impacted you growing up? The first uh, real queer example that I remember was, was my friend's parents becoming divorced and it was because he was gay. And um, I remember just that was when I really, I think I was around the same, not long after that, I probably Mm. would have been, um, I don't know, about 12 or 13. Mm. And I remember being just so surprised. I didn't really know that could happen. Did your parents talk to you like an adult about that scenario? At the time they did, yeah. And do you talk truthfully to your children about what's happening in the world? Do you shelter them away from that sort of You know what I shelter them from is transphobia and homophobia especially my youngest so even though he's 10 now I don't talk to him a lot about the work I do I think he'd be devastated if he knew of the level of transphobia that exists I can't do that to him he lives in a bubble and I want to keep it that way as long as possible his older brother is a bit more aware I I can't I just can't not shelter him from that at the moment. I mean, mm. his, the first time he learned of transphobia was when the gender fairy ad came on television and I couldn't hide it. And also homophobia during the marriage debate when that no was written in the sky and everyone was talking about it at school. Those things I just couldn't hide from him and that was devastating and I had to explain it. How did he take it? He was shocked and, and I think it changed him. Mm. I really do. And, and that devastates me. Still to this day, and I think until the day that I die, I'm going to be thinking about that plebiscite and thinking about all the reasons why a no campaign was just so damaging. Oh, it was so damaging. It still is. I mean, we are still suffering from that. Was it really worth it? I don't know. I mean, it would have meant waiting, but to give them free reign and spend all those millions and millions of dollars on all that hate, I don't know if it's worth it. I mean... It's not worth it for our kids, that's for sure. Even though they might grow up now be allowed to marry who they are, is it worth 
kids dying? I don't know. I know a lot in the community didn't think so. I still don't think it, it no. was. The thing that really got me was Malcolm Turnbull saying how good it was that they did it straight afterwards as well. Yeah. And that was like a big knife. Yeah, knife us in the heart now. Thank you. And I think the really bad part is the momentum that they've managed to gather from that plebiscite that they're now carrying through still to trans children. Mm. And I think one of their their uh, modes of operandi, if you like, is to now weaponise trans children and education as a political weapon and really inexplicably and inexcusably use our children in political campaigns and that just makes me so angry. There's no excuse for using vulnerable children in politics. But I mean we're going to continue to see that. Well because it's easy for them. It's an it's an it's an easy weapon to use for them. Don't you find it disturbingly hilarious when they try and argue their case and then they start to lose their case and then they go and turn it into something else? Like I was watching on YouTube, I saw someone say, if you're going to let boys come to school wearing a dress, you know, how are we going to stop them coming to school dressed as animals? And I was... (laughs) Sorry. And I was like, I can't see the logic. That's so funny. But it was. No, but this is what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, like, it's yeah, such yeah, a. I know. It's a long I bow know. to draw yeah. to get to that point. This is on breakfast TV in London. If you're just joining us now, my name's Benjamin Norris, and this is Word for Word, and I am here with Joe Hurst, children's picture book author of The Gender Fairy and A Home for Everyone. Joe, if you could give yourself some advice at the age of twelve, knowing what you know now, what advice would that be? Have more faith in yourself, be more confident, speak up for yourself, don't let men speak over you. That would be it. That's good advice. Yeah. What was your favourite book when you were growing up? Your favourite kid's picture book? Kid's picture book. Oh, God, I had so many. My dad would spend every last cent on books for us. So I had so many. Enid Blyton I read over and over and over again. I mean, there wasn't a lot when I was little, not as many as there were now, but everything that was around my dad would buy and bring home and read to us. And when I was really young, he started reading The Hobbit to us. So I loved that. He read that to us at quite a young age. But see, that's great that you were getting, you were accessing different ways of storytelling, which I think is also important. Yeah, my dad would make up stories and tell them to us every single night. And they'd be continuous stories that would come, you know, they'd run on what happened the night before would start again. Mm. And we would live for those stories, absolutely live for them. I wish I'd recorded them. That was so wonderful. So I I know I did the same for my kids. They just loved it. That's why I wrote The Gender Fairy. It started out as a story I made up for my son. And then I kind of adjusted it and adjusted it and adjusted it. But yeah, that's how it started. What makes a good children's author? I like to see books that reflect all children in literature because all kids want to see themselves in books. Mm. So I think a story's got to be something that children like to read or like to hear read to them. Children need to feel validated. That the main reasons for reading the, the for writing the Gender Fairy was to help the kids feel normal and not alone, as well as having their peers understand them. So if I'm helping them feel normal and not alone, I'm happy. What would you say makes a good educator? I think a good educator listens to the children. I think a good educator thinks about the well-being of the child as a whole. Mm. And that's really, really important. I think for my own child's primary school, 
I think about the way they treat children and they care about the whole child, not just academic achievement, but the well-being of the child because you cannot achieve academically if you're anxious or stressed or depressed. So if you don't address the child as a whole, Mm. you can't educate. So to me, that's a really important thing. Can you tell me about your first book, The Gender Fairy? Can Mm. you tell me a little bit about that and the reason why you chose to tell that story? It started off as a story I told to my son. And I was actually talking to Michelle Telfer one day and said, look, I've written this story. Would you like me to sort of write it into something for the kids at the gender service, at the children's hospital? And I kind of, I don't know, in my head, I thought something on A4. I don't know what I was thinking. And um, she said, look, why don't you write a book? There's nothing out there and we need something. And I thought, "Mm, okay, maybe I'll do something online. Thought about it and thought about it. I thought, no, I'll, I'll write a book. And I didn't go and see a publisher because I thought, well, no publisher at this point in time, back, you know, beginning of 2015, whenever it was, is going to publish a book about transgender children is what I thought. And also I wanted complete control over the words because the words were so important. So um, I wrote it up. I consulted a lot of people. So um, I did focus groups with teachers. I consulted with Michelle. I consulted with a lot of the transgender community. Mm. And uh, then I did the notes at the back with Roz, who I think is amazing, a great educator in that area, absolutely fantastically professional, and had the illustrations done and published it also with very much with the help of my school community, which was fantastic. Wow. Someone taught me how to do social media. Someone helped me with my website. Someone did the cooking for my book launch. <laughs> it was just, it was a beautiful community. People banded it together. They really did. They banded, banded the banded, well, I don't know what the word is. They, anyway, they came around yeah. and supported me and, and my family and the book and it was really beautiful. So, why is that, can you tell me a little bit about why that story is so personal to you? I guess... It's personal to me because it's so personal for so many children. It's often the first time they see themselves reflected on the page and they get to say, oh, it's okay, I'm normal, I'm okay. Mm. And so when somebody says something bad about that book, like really bad, and they put it on ads like they did, so that reading this book to children is something bad, you're telling that child that there's something wrong with them. And that's never okay. No. I know you're fiercely protective of your own child's story, so I won't betray his privacy. But did people approach you about his gender identity before you were ready? Right. Um, No, it was more conversations with people. So I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what it was. And until he basically hit me over the head with it and forced me to confront it, I didn't really. I had taken him to a psychologist about it who'd said, when he was about three, who'd said, oh, he's just copying his older brother. And I thought, well, that's not true. I knew that wasn't true, but I didn't know what it was, so I didn't do anything about it. And he wasn't verbalising it enough for me to actually be forced to do anything about it. So, no, it was more conversations with people, with, in conjunction with people. And when you say sense. you were hit over the head with it, would you say that that was just from what you could see and what you were watching? Yeah, that, his, that his discomfort, his, his unhappiness and his behaviour, yeah. 
And did he start a line of conversation with you? And then he started a line of conversation with me, yeah. And then I went to the Royal Children's Hospital Gender Service and they helped me through it. Well, they helped us through it, I should say. I guess in lots of ways, because of what you've been through, people can see that you're an author and you've written these books and you have some knowledge and some experience. What's the most common question that people come to you and ask for advice? Oh, how do you know? (laughs) You don't. I mean, I guess, you you know, how do you know you don't? So I guess you just have to listen to your child. Mm. And if they're insistent, consistent and persistent about their gender identity not matching the one they're assigned at birth, you can take them to a professional who really knows about this stuff and talk it through. And you can see that if they're really, it's causing them anxiety to live it as the gender they were assigned at birth, then why not change a name, respect their name and pronoun and change? It's not going to hurt anyone. It's certainly going to help. How do people find you to ask those questions? Is it through social media or? You can email me, but usually if you're going to need support and advice about that sort of thing, I would ask that people contact parents of gender diverse children. You can contact them through email or Facebook. Mm. Uh, There is a bit of a a waiting list at the moment, but you'll get through. But you can, yeah, sure, you can contact me and they can put you in touch with all the best professionals and give you advice about where to go and all that sort of thing. At what age were you noticing anything like this? Like as in... Oh, pretty early. And look, it's different for everyone. This is just my particular experience. I think as soon... Honestly, I could say I noticed things from about 18 months onwards. Certainly not enough. I mean, you don't know at 18 months, obviously, but I could see signs looking back on it. And, you know, some people have a child who comes to them at 17 and or 16 and says you know, I'm, I, I'm trans, and they think they didn't see it coming. But when they go and see a professional, when they work <laughs> through it, they sometimes are. And by the child, time the child's come to you, they've thought of, they've probably been thinking about it for a few years. So, you know, everyone's different. What's been the biggest hurdle for you? Obviously, it's different um, for lots of people because like other people, gonna, it's going to be interpreted differently. Yeah. Look, honestly, the biggest hurdle for me has been the media and politicians without a doubt i mean that that is i would say i ended up with post-traumatic stress after the plebiscite how did you cope with that like what did you do to be able to work through your feelings or your i guess your inner turmoil your hatred your sadness i don't know that i have still to be honest with you i don't know the how do you deal with something like that when it's still going it's still going for us for trans kids and their families i think that's the hardest thing is seeing Mm. so much hate and misinformation out there in the world. It's a struggle every single day to wake up and think, what are they saying today? That's a struggle every single day. All I can do is get the support of my friends and family. There's nothing else. Making a quick observation is that I quite often see a photo of you looking quite strong, and I've heard podcasts of you sounding quite strong. What people can't get in the picture right now, listening to this podcast or listening to this on radio, is you actually can see it on your face that it has affected you? It's scary. It's terrifying. I wake up frightened every single morning and I hear from terrified parents every single day. Mm. Of course it has a toll. I can see that in you, Joe. And it must be so hard to watch our Prime Minister dismiss and distort stories of religious freedom and the lack of equality he has for young people in schools. 
Is it hard for you to navigate your way through stories in the media? Because we have a Victorian election coming up and then we have a federal election coming up, that means that, you know, myself and trans kids are punching bags during that time. And that's a very difficult thing to live through. You know, you're a real person dealing with something. You know, that's what's, that's what's important. That's the strong message through this. Was the internet helpful for you when you were going through this? Not at the time because it was it probably would have been a bit more now, but at the time there wasn't really anything on the internet. So no, I'd have to say a big no to that. What information was wrong on the internet at the time? There just wasn't any about transgender children, good or bad really. Yeah. There was really nothing. So luckily, just so luckily I had the Royal Children's Hospital Gender Service or I would not have known what to do. Honestly wouldn't have known what to do. I guess the best thing to work out, and you've worked this out, is just how you just need to be present in your child's life. That's probably the best way to be dealing with things is just to be so actively involved. Is that what you say to people, I guess? Yeah. I mean, he's living his best life. I mean, as far as he's concerned, he's a boy. He's getting on with his life and he's happy. And the the trans stuff doesn't come up for him on a daily basis, hopefully. I mean, it might do in his head when he's thinking, oh, God, I hope no one finds out. I hope no one knows. You know, all of that stuff's probably going on in his head, but... He's just a boy. He doesn't see himself even as trans. He's just another one of the kids. Mm. So he doesn't live this daily experience of what's going on there out, out in the rest of the world, which is fantastic. So all I, you know, I sort of throw myself into, obviously I've got a lot to do with both of my kids. Mm. You know, one in high school now and one in primary school, two different schools, lots to do. So being a mum takes up a lot of my time as well. Parenting, I guess, is about protection, and that's sort of what it is that you're doing, protecting yeah. a child. What do you think makes a good parent overall, though, not even specific to to this? I think realising that your child is not a reflection of you. They're an individual in their own sense is really, really an important conclusion for every parent to come to. You love them, but they are not you, not even a reflection of you. You have to allow, allow them to be themselves in their own right and listen to them, talk them all the time keep the lines of communication open and be open to what they're saying and really sensitive to their emotions it's important for your for your parents to realize that the dreams or expectations they may have had for you are theirs and not yours and i think that's very important for a parent of a transgender child i mean whether you whether it's conscious or not from the day you find out the gender of your child or the assumed gender of your child you do put expectations on the future of that child and you really need to come to the realisation that everything that you thought was going to happen was just in your head. You mm. never really knew what was going to happen with that child. No idea. They're going to forge, you know, as Nev said, you let go of that GPS and um, they are the person in their own right. I mean, you look at my mum, defied all the expectations of her parents, married outside her Italian community, did not have her arranged marriage, married a guy from another country who wasn't a wog. I mean, that is just, her dad turned her back on her, said to her mum, go put your black clothes on, your daughter's dead, when she said she was marrying my dad. He came around eventually because he's Italian and loves his family, but that's how much of a big deal that was. Didn't meet expectations at all. And then she turns around and becomes a builder of all things. I mean, so she didn't match her parents' expectations. I certainly couldn't meet any of my mum's hopes and dreams of doing things with my hands like she does. None of us, she really wanted one of us to take after her in, in the trade. None of us. 
all hopeless. So, you know, it just, they are who they are, children, and, and it's nothing to do with us. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what extreme it is, you know, like you no, have to let it go. You have to just let it go and support and love them for who they are. So what age could you discuss gender with your children? Oh, any age. For example, I think my new book can be used with any age to explain someone who's non-binary, for example, because they are going to meet people in their lives who are non-binary, whether it's a child at kinder, a child at primary school or an adult, Mm. might be their swimming teacher, it could be someone in a shop, it could be anybody who uses the pronoun they. That explains how to use the pronoun they or someone's name instead. Mm. So it's, it's a really, a house for everyone is a really simple way of discussing gender with your child and the different kinds of of gender identities that that people might have. And I think it's important for parents to understand the difference between gender expression and gender identity too. Mm. Always know that children can wear whatever they like, whatever clothes they like and play with whatever toys they like. And that doesn't affect their gender identity in any way whatsoever. So if someone comes to me and says, oh, you know, my son, he's always wearing dresses, he likes dolls and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't mean he's transgender. No. I mean, is he saying to you all the time that he's a boy? Is he telling you that, well, there's, there's lots of things that, young transgender girls will tell you about their bodies that they dislike Mm. is he saying to you that he's really uncomfortable living as a boy that he's really a girl is he really depressed is he anxious all these things that's just a boy who likes wearing dresses that's no that's not a transgender child dresses aren't just for girls not at all and an interesting example of that is i was once asked because i'm nearly 40 now so like when i was probably just coming out like 21 22 a mother asked me about her son and said her son at the time was about eight or nine and said, do you think my son's gay? And the reason why was because she'd seen him wearing dresses and loved to role play dresses. However, flash forward now to 20 years later, he's married and has children and is very, how do I describe that? But you know, the thing was, I said to her at the time, I said, look, you don't know, you don't, you would never know. And you can't necessarily look at gender specific roles that kids are exploring with at that age that's going to determine a sexuality. I made the same mistake with my son. I thought, ooh, she's going to be a butch lesbian. You know, that's what I thought, you know, because I I confused sexuality and gender. And it's a big, big mistake. We can't know what sexuality a young child's going to have. I mean, you don't know that until they've reached puberty at least. Mm. So, until they tell you. So... We need to stop equating gender expression and sexuality as well. I mean, look at my mum. She's completely heterosexual and has this completely masculine gender Hysteria. expression. Looks yeah. looks completely like a butch lesbian. And yet she's a cisgender heterosexual woman. I mean, we, we've got to stop doing that. And we've got to stop asking if young boys who wear dresses are gay. Who knows? Who cares? But it's got nothing to do necessarily with their gender identity or their sexuality. Well, then I guess that begs the question of what age you can then start to talk about sexuality with children. Like as in, we're talking now specific to sexuality versus gender. Yeah. Well, that is completely not my area of expertise. You're not at that level yet. That is not an area I specialise in or even talk about. I think there are people who do that kind of education. And I think with young children, the important thing to know in terms of that kind of education in kinder, is that your body is private and that no one's allowed to touch your body without your permission. I think that's how it starts. So I couldn't give you an answer about that. 
Do you think that maybe as your child grows up and handles sexuality in whatever form, you'll find yourself writing maybe young literature to handle that sort of stuff and put more... I've already said no to that. I think there are people better placed to do that with me. I think there needs to be books in our community that are more inclusive about sex education. There are some, but not enough. And I, I think there are people better placed than me to do that. You never know. You never know, but I don't think at so. At this stage, you're like, <laughs> at no. this stage, it's not on the list. <laughs> like, no, this is not happening to me. Yeah. Can we do a quick thing? Because we've talked about a few mm-hmm. of these very quickly, and I think it's, and I know you've done this a lot, so, and I know you're also really good at it. But there'll be people listening to this right now that might want some clarification on this. What is the best way to describe these common terms? Cisgender. Someone who identifies as the gender they are assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. And then transgender. Someone who does not identify as the gender they are assigned at birth. Gender identity. Is how you feel inside about who you are. Gender expression. Is how you express yourself on the outside, like your clothing, mannerisms, things like that. And then non-binary. Is somebody who does not identify as exclusively male or female. Well, that's pretty much all of them. Okay. It's sort of like at the moment now, you're like, yes, an A plus, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. I know you're a teacher, so you're looking for the gold star. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because I love to be able to bring that up with you because you are so on, like you, you know all of those terms and you can express them really quickly. But are you surprised to hear that those, a lot of those terms are still confused for the wider community of Australia? I do. I shouldn't be, but I am. And, and really, it's, it's not fair because when people aren't in our bubble and haven't been exposed to these terms yet, they're still new to them, I shouldn't be surprised. But because I'm, I'm saying these words every day, it's hard for me to remember that sometimes. But we all need to remember that these terms are new to some people, just like the word heterosexuality and homosexuality were new, you know, a few decades ago. Cisgender and transgender can be new and non-binary can be new for some people today. And we keep hearing them more and more, don't we? We do, which is great. We love to be educated. That comes back to it. I think people love to be able to be in the know on things. Yeah. And that's what we need to be doing. A quick question about this. Are we heading towards a gender-neutral world? I don't think so. Look, some people would love one, some people wouldn't. I think often anti-transgender lobby groups like to accuse people who stand up for trans rights of wanting a gender-neutral society, but I don't think that's true. I mean, you look at people like my son who very much identify as male and don't want to identify any other way. I think that there are a lot of trans people out there who don't want a gender neutral society. I think you'd have to come to a, a more definite definition, if that makes sense, of a gender neutral society. I'd like to see some things be non gendered, like clothing and toys and things like that, rather than people. Mm. What about the he, she? Like, as in, do you think we're moving away from... Do you think that those terms, he and she, are showing a sign of ex- an expiry date? I think they. I think I'd like to see less and less of them because they can be a little bit... They can exclude some people, but that doesn't mean that some people won't apply, that, apply those mm. uh, pronouns to themselves necessarily. I think, though, as we, people could become more and more aware that those terms can be hurtful towards some people, that I guess we should be seeing them slowly being er eradicated in some ways, you know. I think we can just substitute different words when we're talking about a group of people, Mm. just to be more inclusive. Mm, Absolutely. Is political correctness becoming a necessity or are people going too far with that? Well, I guess it's what people mean by political correctness. I think it is. At the moment, 
I was talking about this with Tom from Gogglebox, who was in Mm -hmm. here last week. He was like, political correctness has gone too far. You know, we have to be so politically correct and censoring ourselves. And whilst I'd love to agree with him, because I still grew up with a generation loving the comedy company and Big Girl's Blouse and some Mm. of these shows where the whole entire humour was surrounded by saying things and even Summer Heights High, you know, making us laugh at extremely politically incorrect statements. I still love those shows, and I, but I'm starting to become aware that even my love of those shows isn't enough to have that dialogue even out there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just think how hard is it to be kind? If you look at it that way, I think that word politically correct is used as a weapon or an excuse for not being kind to people. Mm. How hard is it just to be kind? It's actually Rosie Thomas, who we, we've got as a friend, a mutual friend in common. We like, do. And it, it's so funny with Rosie, she quite often. I mean, I'm an outspoken person. And let me tell you, this is a journey to try and get me to even sounding this way today. With <laughs> Rosie always, whoosh, you know, and not in a bad way. When I make a whip noise, I shouldn't say that because Rosie's so good at being able Rosie's to tackle. Rosie's beautiful. Yeah, but... I haven't always been as political correct as I should be. And Rosie never, like, scolds me for it. But she certainly is like, Ben, there's a better way to talk about it. She educates. Yeah. That's what she does. That's what she, Well, that's her field, yeah. And because I'm so close to, to her, it's actually been really beneficial to me, especially doing this show. She'd have a great influence on anybody. Yeah. Well, Rosie listens to the show every week and then she rings me and she goes, Ben, well, you could have said this wasn't phrased correctly, but the best thing about you is that you're coming from a place of curiosity and lo- and you want to learn, which means that even when you get it wrong, it still isn't coming. You can see that it's not coming from a bad if place. If the intentions are great and people mm. are willing to learn, that's fantastic. What more do you want? Yeah, exactly. How do you address people who maybe aren't as clearly educated as they should be? I think it depends on the circumstances. Mm. I'd have to have an example, I think. How do you go about addressing people that are maybe getting pronouns wrong? I think if somebody's getting a pronoun wrong and and it was me, mm. I'd correct them. If someone was misgendering mis, um, me, I'd say, actually, my pronoun is she. And I think that's okay. It's okay to sort of bring that up in that I way. I think it's okay to bring that up. Say, oh, actually, Benjamin, my pronoun's she. Do you think it's important and are you seeing a change in how much literature is available for people out there these days? Oh, there is so much available. Unfortunately, on social media especially, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So you do have to be careful, but there's so much fantastic literature out there. My publisher publishes a lot of work. Uh, in in the trans and uh, gender diverse area, a lot of trans authors as well. But there's so much out there in general; it's fantastic. Mm. It's good to see. Never that been so much more. more of it. Never been more. It's fantastic. And am I right by saying this? But I think by the time your second book came out, there's a bit of a there's a list at the back of your book, which also suggests other literature. Was that in the second yeah, book? That's, yeah, absolutely. Which and that wasn't available when you wrote the first one. No, I think um, my my book was the first one in Australia. In Australia, mm. and since then there's been Teddy, which is fabulous. Mm. But there, I think my book might be one of only a handful in the world that has a non-binary child in it. And it's certainly the this second book, and it's certainly the only one that has children with diverse gender identities and gender expressions in it. It's so powerful, but yet some parents worry about reading or discussing gender. With children, they believe that it could influence their, their child or they're fearful of that. Yeah, it's again thinking that being transgender can be catching, like some sort of contagious disease. I just don't understand that. Your child is not going to catch transgender. It, it's not catching. You don't need a vaccine for it. You cannot make a child transgender. You just cannot. 
Does that come down to maybe parents being the ones that are the you know that are fearful? Like, oh, absolutely, it's not the kids. I think when uh, the children in class are told about a transgender child, they have cake at the end to celebrate the child's new name, chocolate cake often, or rainbow cake, whatever. That's what they focus on. It's like, let's have cake and go out and play, yay. And they don't really care about it. (laughs) They couldn't care less, like, oh, yeah, I'll remember that new name, great. Talking about what they do care about, and specifically the transgender kids, what is their biggest concerns like what do you think for children of that age what is their biggest concerns that their friends will reject them Mm. and for the ones where nobody knows at school that someone will find out and i also heard you talking about the concerns being are they normal yeah are they alone are they the only only one yep and then about using the toilets like can i use the right toilets it's like, of course you can use the right toilet. If you're a boy, use the boys' toilets. Mm-hmm. If you're a girl, use the girls' toilets. You're normal and you're not alone. I mean, the book literally says those things to reassure them because they are the main questions that they will ask their parent or their doctor. So funny. When you're a kid, you just want to be like everyone else. You want to be oh, so exactly. generic. Exactly. They just don't want to stand out. And I find that especially of most trans kids, they don't want to stand out. They just want to blend into the background. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> you want to tell them, you're like, when you're older, you're going to want to be acknowledged for your differences. Like- well, maybe. I mean, some do, some don't. It's, it's really interesting. Some people say to me, oh, do you think your son will be an activist when he grows up? I really don't think so. Well, I guess you just can't expect or predict anything. And that's exactly mm. in all of your learnings. You mm. know, you're just, you're allowing a child to be loved and to be who they are. And to have a childhood. You yeah. only get one childhood i will let my child have a childhood if it kills me (laughs) (laughs) that's what makes a good mother i'd say in your observation how do kids deal with gender exploration that could be a little bit that needs explaining to kids as well so you might have a child in kinder who's not sure about their gender and some some kids might realize that's going on and some kids might not Mm. they're pretty much oblivious to it usually like you might have a child who's not quite sure if they're a boy or a girl and they're just exploring it but usually they don't discuss it with the other children they might wear different clothing sometimes they might not identify as non-binary they're just sort of a bit fluid Mm. and that's they just need space to explore that in a safe place to explore that but it's not something they usually discuss with other children so it doesn't really affect the other kids do you think these books that you've written do you think that they should be a part of the curriculum well i think the new book would be fantastic to be part of the curriculum Mm. personally i don't think it'll ever happen because they won't do anything for transgender children as part of the curriculum there is no school anywhere in australia that does anything about gender identity as part of the curriculum for children and I don't think that's going to happen. When I, even when I hear you saying that it seems like a fallacy to me but like the fact that there is no available education out there or information out there for teachers teaching the children or for the children themselves how is it that there's nothing available for them? Because of the very, very, very powerful misinformation being put out by the powerful anti-transgender lobbies. Politicians are terrified because they're convincing people that your child will catch the transgender if they educate children about gender identity. I think for politicians in particular, I think that they probably are okay with it, but they don't want to put their name on it because they're worried of not being elected. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah, I think they're worried about not being elected because of the um, very successful campaigns that have been run. With the tweet that came out from the Prime Minister, which is, we do not need gender whispers in our schools, let kids be kids. Do you think 
the Prime Minister regrets that tweet? I hope so. I hope so. It's very misguided and very ill thought out. I actually responded with an article and then I tweeted for 25 days recommending 24 books, a book every day that could help him understand gender identity and, and how to let kids be kids. You're quite active in that way when it comes to being on social media. Like I noticed that you tw- you know tweeted him in regards to you know the gender whispers in educating. What do you think is the what is it that you'd ultimately like to see him do with those tweets? Well, apparently he his government, he has said, are forming an inclusive policy for children at school. I would like to know how he is going to include children like mine in that policy. So I would like to see him form some sort of inclusive policy that helps a transgender child when they're making a social transition at school. I want to see how that's going to work. If you sat down with the Prime Minister tomorrow and you could work on an educational tool that is accessible for teachers and is beneficial for kids, what does that program look like for you? Well, you'd need some sort of professional development for the teachers so that they understood what's involved in supporting a transgender child in school. Most schools are developing those kind of policies now. Most schools are begging for this. You've got to remember that kindergarten teachers and primary school teachers and childcare centres are knocking down my door for help. They are desperate for help. So they are wanting this. I would like to see professional development for the teachers so that the teachers can do this themselves. They would know how to speak to the class when someone's making a social transition so that it's just not a big deal. It's just another day. They explain it to the children and they go out and play. Very simple. What was the backlash from releasing these picture books for kids? Well, the backlash from the gender fairy only started when they started their anti-safe schools campaign because safe schools recommended my book on their website and Roz had co-written the notes at the back and she was working for them and they'd used Roz as a political weapon very successfully. That's when the real backlash started. And they try and frame it as though The Gender Fairy is a book written by the Labor Party or a book written by schools, when it's a book written by me, a mum, and that makes me so angry. There's nothing I can do about that. So that that's how that's sort of been framed. And the backlash started from them. But it was it was very it was very well planned, I think. You think about these people trying to plan that stuff though, you think why? You know, yeah. when they don't know how much that's going to affect other people. I don't understand what it takes for someone to hate children, certain children that much. I just don't get it. I think that there is a generation of people who say things as though they're fact and people then believe that because... That's what's happening. And that's what started with the plebiscite and the, the anti-school safe schools campaign. They said all these things, they, these anti-trans lobbyists sent us, said all these things as though they were fact and people believed it and it just went on from there. Like, really? People need to ask the question. Oh, my goodness. So, moving forward now, so you're working on some more books? I'm co-editing an international book which is really exciting can't wait yep working on another children's book and have you got a message for the queer community that's out there listening to this right now please gather around and help our trans kids and thank you for everyone who's already doing that and thanks to the people that have bought your books and read your books to their children whether they were trans or not oh yeah i love hearing those stories they're beautiful thank you they're good parents out there oh there's some amazing parents out there they're wonderful 
Well, Joe, thank you so much for being able to come on the show today. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed the chat. And share your story. I think that's the thing these days is that we're going to get the messages across that we need to get across by sharing our stories. And I think that you are brave to be able to do it. And you've been able to do it in a way where you've still offered protection and privacy for your children, which is a hard thing to navigate. It, it, it's a tightrope at times, but yeah, so far so good. Thank you. I just want to say well done. <laughs> Thank you. No worries at all. Thank you. Word for Word is presented and produced by Ben Norris from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Word for Word is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations across the community radio network. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.